How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome in to another edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I am Derek Johnson, our throw it back and chug stat of the week. September 8th, 2007, San Diego Padres won in Coors Field 3-1. The Rockies would only have five more losses from there till the World Series, which they were swept by the Red Sox. So crazy run by them. But by the way, who says you can't pitch in Denver? Greg Maddox went six innings. Gave up just three hits, one run. He was followed up by Doug Brokale. And then these two names will certainly ring a bell. No pun intended. Heath Bell and Trevor Hoffman to complete the game. Uh, So I'm curious. This is kind of a fun question with fantasy. Like, how long is the list of pitchers that you actually feel comfortable when they're pitching in Coors Field? Probably 20 of them, maybe. If that, like, you know, if you give me Jacob deGrom, if you give me Max Scherzer, um, Max Freed, I feel like I'd be pretty easy and comfortable with guys that get ground balls is kind of the big thing. Like I would feel pretty comfortable with Logan Webb out there, to be honest. I I, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Uh, Dodgers pitching wise, because they they have a lot of guys that go out there and pitch pretty well. Tyler Anderson has some familiarity with pitching there, of course. So I'd feel okay about him being there. Um, there's probably about 20, but you know, it's funny. None of them are Colorado Rockies pitchers, of course. So uh, Greg Maddox, though, is really solid. It's funny you say they ring a bell because, number one, Heath Bell, but Trevor Hoffman. How, who could forget? Hell's Bell, right. right? Yep. Yeah, those were those were the good old days. So, uh, yeah, the bells are ringing for the Padres right now as well in terms of having to win those important games because they have been uh, – they, they could use some guys like Doug Brokale, Heath Bell, and Trevor Hoffman. Uh, Josh Hader has just – been absolutely horrible lately. Well, we're going to get to Josh Hader. We're going to look at struggling stars this year and some semi-struggling stars, maybe guys who have done pretty well, but there have been maybe some some few uh, hurdles that they've had to overcome here or a few little things of, of veering off and figure out if we think they're going to bounce back or not in 2023. Real quick, though, I do have to get to our season-long beer pong. I actually hit two for uh, the first Look time. Look at you. I know nice. <laughs> Dodgers over the Marlins three to one Phillies over the Pirates four nothing both four game series. I was one Dodgers win from hitting the same cup there, which would have been real nice. Uh, you have four cups left on your side of the table. I have two. So I'm going to go again. I'll take the Dodgers over the Padres. They've just owned San Diego here over the last couple of years. And then I'll take the Giants over the Cubs. Giants aren't playing for a ton right now. There still is that like loose hope of maybe making the playoffs. 
I just like how some of the pitching matchups work out. We have Rodon going on Friday, and, and I just think they're a better team than the Cubs, even though they haven't been uh, a great team overall. So let's get into those struggling stars. Josh Hader, you mentioned him. Do you think he bounces back? Oh, wait, I totally forgot. What are you drinking? Oh, yeah, I, uh, I'm i drinking. <laughs> so, Derek, it is super, super hot in California right now. I actually have to keep my door open because – of the fact that it is like a heat wave coming through an area where the temperature is normally like 70 degrees right around now. It's a hundred degrees outside. Uh, there's nothing better on a hot day than a lemonade. And with booze in mind, uh, there's some vodka in this thing. So this is a vodka lemonade that I've got right here. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm not sipping it because I'm trying to get drunk. I'm sipping it so that I don't pass out. Um, which, <laughs> you know, maybe this will help knock me out to fall asleep. I haven't slept in like, a week i would say so this is uh this is the good solid liquid that's gonna keep me going what about you okay so i'm gonna try something i I have no idea if this will be good or not i have this melon cart which i've had before i also have this uh corona coconut lime like seltzer so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna put a little bit of both the coconut lime there's a little too much coconut in it but i think if i kill it off a little with some of the mango cart we go a little half and half on both. Going half and half. We're going half and half directly, or is there a favor favoritism to one or the other? No, I got I got half and half of both, but this is the first time I've done this, so it might have to be adjusted. It's a little mixology on the fly. Is there ice in this? Because is it supposed to be cold? No ice. That's pretty good. I'm going to put a little more melon cart because I still have a little too much coconut in there. But honestly – it tastes a little bit like the uh, Coca-Cola Slurpee at 7-Eleven. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. That's an interesting combo, though. I would never expect that from those two. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to have the coconut so that it it's kind of an aftertaste more than it is like a permanent presence there? Like, uh, is it kind of supposed to be an underlying detail there? No, honestly, it's it's pretty – the coconut's pretty – It's you can taste it the whole way through. It's still a little too coconutty for me. Like, a, that's not my cup of tea. But it's it's pretty good. The 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 melon I think makes it a little less coconutty, which which I think makes it more ideal. Okay, this is what I want you to do, and this is totally on the fly. This is not planned before, so we'll see how good Derek is on his toes. But in Major League Baseball, we always seem to debate about who the best trio is, duo. I want you to mm-hmm. combine on an MLB team this duo right here. Somebody's the mango cart, or the the watermelon cart, I should say, and somebody's the coconut. And who is the coconut? Who is the melon? And why? And that combo makes it better. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the uh, coconut is Aaron Judge. It's overpowering. It's impossible to miss. You wow. can't miss the coconut. Like, you can't miss Aaron Judge on the field. He's hitting home runs. He's you know going to get 60 whatever home runs this year, hoping he stays healthy, knock on wood. Um, but, yeah, he's impossible to miss. That's like the coconut. It's kind of the foundation here. <laughs> the mango cart is kind of the spice that you can add here. So I'm going to go Giancarlo Stanton. He adds a little extra flair to it. He can hit balls really hard. The Yankees really struggled when when he was out with an injury and whatnot. Uh, you need that melon cart to kind of mellow this out a little bit. I think that's my duo. I, <laughs> I love that duo. <laughs> that's a that's a heavy hitting duo right there. That's that's got to be a strong drink. Those are two very strong human beings. So yeah, that's the only problem with it. I, I would need that to be like I don't know vodka and tequila or something. What's for, the alcohol percentage? I'm curious for each. One. Uh, it can't be that much. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a seltzer, so this is four and a half percent from the one seltzer. The mango cart is four percent, so about okay. four point two five. You got some lighter hitters there. You got some lighter. Yeah. Hitters. Okay. Okay. Well. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm going to have to do a combo like that. I like that. I like that. Mine is literally just a vodka lemonade. So one of us was creative. The other one was sweating profusely. So mm. anyways, let's get to Josh our. Hader. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm alive. I made it. <laughs> uh, Josh Hader. Uh, he has a 6.42 ERA this season. Pretty remarkable. Right. How bad is it? <laughs> Is this like a because we have an example of a closer who is maybe the best closer in baseball this year with Edwin Diaz struggling a ton a couple of years ago. Is this just that from Josh Hader or are you completely selling off of them? I'm I'm kind of somewhere in between. Uh, I think that I don't think Josh Hader's done. Um, He's too good of a pitcher to fall off to this extent. Uh, I do think he might be done this season. The Padres are already having to go implement a backup relief closer, if you will, to him. Then I don't really see that changing. I don't know what he can do to really justify that he's okay. He's been absolutely horrible since he came over to San Diego. But I do think over the offseason, he's going to study film. He's going to have time to really dissect what the heck went wrong here. Because uh, a lot has gone wrong since he went over to San Diego. And, and when he does figure that out, I think that he's going to be a better pitcher on the other end of it. Do I think he's going to return back to the form that Hader was? No, I, I think that we're on a better path. We'll, we'll be on a better course than like what you saw from, say, Cody Bellinger offensively, right? Cody Bellinger goes from being an MVP to just barely even a- being able to make contact. I don't think it's going to be that kind of extent where it just seems like he's useless. I, I think Hader's going to return to probably like a mid upper tier closer. I, I still think that there's a lot, uh, you know, the underlying numbers for him are not that bad. And so I just, I have a hard time seeing him just being done after this. It does take some mental strength though, uh, to really come back and deliver after this, but I I think he's going to be okay moving forward. Yeah. It's weird because you look at like the pitch mix, it's basically the same. You look at the average velocity, like his sinker is up from 96.4 to 97.3. Um, he, he doesn't really throw a fastball, so that's not really applicable, but like that's there. You look at the, Strikeout rate or the, or the K per nine, even if you want to look at that, the K per nine is 1505. Okay. Well, it was fifteen six five the year before it's 14, six, eight the year before 16, four, one, like it's a little lower, but it's not like that much lower the walk per nine. Like that's, I don't know, a little higher than, than maybe his career average, but it's lower than it was in 2020. Um, you look at the home run per nine again, it's, it's a lot higher than in years past, but it's, even lower than it was in 2019. It's not that much higher than it was in 2020. He's got a 65% left on base rate, though. For his career, that's been 83%. So I think some of it is just kind of bad luck there. Like the expected ERA is 383. The expected FIP is 3.13. I don't think he's as dominant as he was a couple of years ago, and that plays into it as well. And yes, some of those skills haven't been as good this year with like the walk rate, and it's kind of all those things all at once. I think some of it, though, might just be like release point. Maybe that's something that he can fix. Like maybe some of the deceptiveness has has kind of gone away there because everything I look at, like underlying here, says that this should not be happening this severely. So I think I could see myself with a couple Josh Hader shares next season at at a cheaper cost point because, remember, he was a guy that like in standard fantasy leagues, he might be going like the third round. And I was never really on board with that to begin with, but like – at this point, now that he's going to fall a little bit, I, I think I, I I can buy in on at least like early next season. Maybe he's a more middling round pick next year, and and I think I could see a little bit of a bounce back next season. I think the wildest thing, if you look at his underlying underlying numbers, I mean, it is obvious that he's not pitching quite 
to the extent that we saw from last season, right? But the numbers that are most interesting to me, okay, is Walker is terrible, right? He he needs to locate better. I think that's a big factor to why he's getting into this kind of trouble is he's setting himself up poorly. He's not throwing as many strikes as he normally does. Um, he's also getting a lot of whiffs still, though. So maybe if he just locates a little better, if he learns to kind of relocate these pitches, that, that's one of the things. The fastball spin rate's not in a good position right now. Um, and maybe he doesn't feel as comfortable with the fastball. The barrel rate's terrible for him. So uh, there's a couple things there that makes me question, is he getting the Walker-Buehler syndrome of he's not getting a lot of spin on the fastball and hitters are able to see it better. It's interesting because haters' delivery – you can't see the ball until the last second, right? He kind of pulls that Johnny Cueto, goes way back. Does, you don't see the ball until it's already out of his hand, right? So it's a little bizarre that it it's going that direction for him and those underlying numbers. The other thing that's super significant to me, if you look at the ERA versus the expected ERA, the expected his ERA right now is 6.42. The expected ERA is 3.84. To me, I mean, shaving that in half, that is pretty significant. A year ago, his ERA was 1.23. The expected was 2.18. So it's gone in the absolute reverse for him. It just means, as you kind of mentioned, he's a little unlucky. Um, The weighted on base percentage is higher by almost 100 points, actually a little more than 100 points than it was a year ago. So he's just letting too many guys get on base. He's not locating. That's the problem. And that'll get you in trouble. I think he's going to fix it. He's 28 years old. He's going to be fine this year, though. I would be worried if I owned him. Okay. Lucas Giolito has a 5.2 ERA right now. His whip is one five. Are you buying into Lucas Giolito for next season? No, I'm not. Uh, He has an injury history that I don't love. And now that he's actually had a healthy season, it's kind of ironic. You know, he can't go out there and locate properly he's having the same issues as josh Hader, but the only difference is the underlying numbers are terrible i mean absolutely awful if you look at everything his extension's great cool awesome everything else is in the bottom 33 percent really of major league pitchers he's getting barreled up um he's walking hitters he's getting a decent amount of whiffs and his strikeout rates you know in the top two-thirds of mlb pitchers but His average exit velocity for hitters against is literally in the middle tier. He's bottom tier in batting average allowed. It's there's just some real major question marks for me. And as he gets a year older, I don't know. He hasn't really made adjustments from his past season. He's actually a career four, three, six ERA pitcher. You know, we're talking about a guy that if I have a comp to him, it's probably Noah Syndergaard, right? Noah Syndergaard was so dominant early on his career and then location and just hitter just catching up to his fastball and a lot of different factors made him go from, you know, one of the better pitchers in baseball to average at best, really. Um, and I think that's kind of the trajectory we're on right now with Lucas Giolito. Uh, I'm not buying him at all. No, I'm, I'm not really buying him either. It is intriguing to me that his expected ERA and his FIP are both hovering toward the low fours. So I guess it just depends how you look at this, because I do think he's going to bounce back in terms of being like a guy that you can use on your team as a pitcher. But if we're talking being one of your top two pitchers on your fantasy team, no, there's no way I'm drafting him that way. Like if you drafted him in the standpoint of like a, 
I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a good comp here. Um, He's a Noah Syndergaard to me. That's that's how yeah, I look at him. Yeah, exactly. Like somebody that you're going to use if he has a good matchup, but I'm not going to use him every game. He has a home run problem. Uh, even though the strikeouts are still good, they're lower than they have been since 2018. The fastball velocity is down to like under 93 miles per hour instead of being like a mid-90s guy. So I, I'm kind of out on him unless the price goes down. Like if you got him – with pick, I, and this is just completely spitball, and I don't know, this may be like way off where he's going to go. If you got him with pick like 170 or something in your fantasy draft, like I could be on board with that maybe, but yeah. he, you're picking him in the top 100, like no, no, thank you. I'm no, thank you. out on it. Yeah, totally um, This guy, I think both of us are going to be out on it, but I'll just mention it because he was a guy who was like a top 50 pick because of the speed, Whit Merrifield. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. Um, there's not a lot you have to really say about this. He doesn't have a hard hit rate. Uh, mid to late thirties, no power anymore. He doesn't have the everyday daily role as he had the Royals. He, you know, both of us love him as a player, but we love prime with Merrifield. And it is wild though. If you think about it, he really didn't start producing at an elite level until his early thirties. So, you know, he kind of was a late bloomer and I think the age is going to only hurt him more than anything else. And yeah, the situation is just not great. I, I don't really believe in him anymore. Uh, the speed's only going to dwindle. That's really about all he offers. Uh, I'm, I'm completely out. Okay. Let's get to some guys who aren't like totally struggling, but like compared to where they went on draft day, definitely been a bit of a disappointment in that regard. Do you think they can get back to maybe where they were at the beginning of this season, or at least close? The first is Bobashek. He was going as a first-round pick with a bullet. He was a top-10 guy. He was, in a lot of cases, maybe the guy who was going to go number five in a lot of fantasy leagues. This year, he's been a top 100 player, but he's been closer to number 100 than he has been to that top half of things. So what would you do with Bobachet? Would you obviously not be comfortable taking him in the first round, but would you be comfortable using like a second or third-round pick on him? Yeah, I think so. And this week in particular of the recording has kind of shown, okay, Bo Bichette still has it. Over this past week, he already has four home runs, 10 hits and 25 at-bats, uh, which are actually, I think it's 15 at-bats, 10 hits and 15 at-bats. Um, RBIs, I think that it's nine is what he has so far. I mean, this guy has explosive capabilities, right? And yeah, he is not produced at an elite level the way that we all expected him to, but he has still very good pop pretty solid speed the combo there is great it's a premium position i'm willing to take like a late second round pick early third round pick on him i i have no problem with that i honestly if i'm sitting there with a middle second round pick i'm at least considering him right like i'm at least sitting there thinking okay he's an option do i think there are better you know players to go after in a one-year league yeah absolutely if i'm in a keeper league though man i mean i'm still probably picking him mid second round at the latest i feel like I, I i still trust the value he's still a young guy um in a lineup that's only going to keep getting better and better so yeah i i still am buying pretty early the thing that scares me is that part of the reason he was being taken so high is because he he contributed in everything right the average was there the slugging percentage was there the the home runs were there not as much as you know a 40 home run guy but being a you know mid to high 20s, low 30s type of guy. The RBIs were going to be there, and the steals were going to be there. That's the one thing that we haven't really seen this year. He only has nine steals this year compared to 25 a season ago. He's been caught stealing a little bit more this season. That scares me a little bit for a guy who is never going to be somebody who walks a lot. Now, I think the the average is always going to be there for him, um, kind of in like a Tim Anderson type of way. Like He's not going to walk a ton, but he'll have good average. He'll have solid home run numbers. 
but that's kind of my point. I think if the steals aren't there I in the level of where it was last year, like if they're just solid steals, not really good steals, I think he is more of a Tim Anderson. So I guess it depends where, where you're picking him. Because to me, Tim Anderson is a guy that might go somewhere between like 35 and 50. And if that's where you're getting Bo Bichette, like 30 to 50, I'm totally on board with it. But I still can't really get on board even after where he was after last year with him being like a top five, top 10 guy anymore. I, I, I can agree with that assessment. Uh, I might take Bo a little bit earlier. I, I think it's where you value stolen bases. I still think that the average is going to be there. And, I you know, he's 24 years old. So uh, to me, I, you know, he's still just entering his prime. I feel like the hit tool alone is going to give you good second, third round value. But yeah, if he's slipping, in my opinion, it's a slip to 30, like pick 30. If you're sitting there with pick 30, so the first pick and – uh, the third round, if you're, or I guess that would be the last pick in the third round. If you're sitting even with the first pick in the third round in a 10 team league, 12 team league, you should at least be radar considering him. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So the next one, if you just look at the overall season stats, you're like, what do you mean? He's had a great season. Rafael Devers, 289, 348, 530 slash line. That's all great. Uh, 25 home runs, not as much run production and RBIs as you would expect. And I think part of that is, the Red Sox lineup, but the reason he's on here, his second half has been very problematic. So you're talking about a guy who was pretty much a surefire top 20 pick. Like again, not somebody who got you steals and that probably kept him out of being like a surefire top 10 pick, uh, but still for sure, like top 20, would you still use that on him in 2023? I think so. I, I have a hard time with Devers and, and I wanted to talk about him specifically because the second half has been really terrible. I mean, over the last month, he has one home run. He does have seven doubles. He's still going to provide doubles no matter what, you know, his slump is he's going through. I mean, the guy is a doubles machine. But to your point, here's the here's the post-All-Star break. 195 average, 266 on base, 336 slugging, good for a 602 OPS. Yeah. Uh, I mean, over the last month, a 198, 272, 297 slash line, that's not going to get the job done. He is going to get you doubles. He's going to get you RBIs. That's a guarantee. And – so it's hard because, you know, if you're in a league that doesn't use doubles as a category, you might be sitting there thinking, I don't know if he's worth it, you know, first or second round pick. I mean, there are guys that have better pop. Like if you're in a standard five by five league, you're kind of sitting there thinking, hmm, is there somebody out there that maybe can, you know, offer me a little bit more value in that pop category? I, I, I you know, I think it depends on the categories. If you're in a league that counts doubles, Devers is still to me a first, late first, early second round pick. I, I'm still willing to go that far. In a keeper league, he's automatic. He's still in that range. If you're in a one year league and you don't have doubles as a category, I'm not feeling as great about this guy because this is a significant slum that he has not been able to shake off. His health hasn't been as great this year. Um, and the team around him isn't trending in the right direction. And that plays a pretty key role too. Remember, the Red Sox may lose Xander Bogarts, so there's a key piece in the lineup that he may be missing. Um, Trevor Story can't find a way to stay healthy, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, J.D. Martinez is all of a sudden just – he can't hit the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, there are some concerns that I definitely have, not just with Devers, but the situation he's in. So, yeah, I think it depends on the scenario of your league, what you value and what's important stats-wise. But if doubles isn't a category, yeah, I'm probably not jumping at him. I, I 
I'm curious to see what the Red Sox look like next year for that lineup protection and for the run production. Like, is Andrew Bogart's going to be re-signed? What's going to happen with J.D. Martinez? That sort of stuff uh, to where that does matter to me. But, like, I also don't want to overreact because I remember I kind of overreacted in 2018 to Jose Ramirez, who the first half of the season, Jose Ramirez had over 1,000 OPS. And then in the second half, he hit 218 over the course of the second half. Now, he still has 793 OPS because he was walking and, and still hitting. But then you start to the beginning of 2019, and Jose Ramirez in the first half of 2019 had a 218 average and a 652 OPS. Then he figured it out. He had an 11.05 OPS in the second half, and he's been Jose Ramirez again ever since. And so I don't want to make that same mistake again with a young, really good third baseman and Rafael Devers. So, yeah, maybe this last year I would have taken him pick, I don't know, 17 or something, just spitballing. Maybe this year it's pick 21, something like that. But I'm still willing to invest like a, a second-round price on Rafael Devers this year. You mentioned Trevor Story. He's a guy that before he got injured was actually still ranked really high in like standard leagues um, because he would do a lot of things pretty much outside of like average or, or OBP. But still, when you look at some of the numbers, like the K rate being up at 31%, basically uh, year before he was at 23 year before at 24, uh, you see some of the, maybe, I don't know, not being in Coors field type of stuff, diminishing a bit. What would you do with Trevor story next season? Well, it's so hard to figure him out because you had kind of mentioned that the counting stats are actually really pretty solid. The guy's not going to hit for average, but you know, he's posting right now for the season a 753 OPS. It's not something you desire, but lately he has just been actually smacking the ball around since returning from injury. And you wonder how healthy was he really at the start of this year? He's got a 400 average right now on base percentage of 432 slugging 629 over the last month. Uh, granted that's only just a couple plate appearances, He's 14 for 35. He has a home run and five doubles, uh, but he's stealing bases. And I think that's pretty interesting. He's got two steals, uh, over the last couple weeks here. Um, so you have to wonder maybe his story going to be this guy, like, is he going to try and steal more and be a 25, 25 guy? Like I, I still think there's value there. I do worry for the same exact argument that I had for Devers what that lineup is going to be looking like. Uh, I think Xander Bogarts plays a key role for Story because you'll wonder if Bogarts is gone and Story returns to his native position at shortstop, you know, there's some weird psyche about playing in the position that you're good at and playing in the position you're comfortable in versus playing in a position you're not. And it's obvious that Story was meant to play shortstop and that's where he's played his whole career. If he returns to shortstop, does he, Andy has got a set role at shortstop. Does he see his numbers improve? I, there's a chance. I don't know. I, I'm kind of actually buying into story a little bit more than I was. Um, and I traded him in a dynasty league. Granted, I also got Gunnar Henderson in the process. So not upset about that, but you know, I, I'm kind of buying into the concept that story might just have not that had that healthy of a year. It's a weird adjustment period moving to Boston. Boston can be really difficult for some players, so I don't know. I'm kind of into the concept of story as maybe in a standard league of 10 teams, I would take him around the 60th pick if he's available around that time. That's kind of what I'm citing him as is maybe around a late fifth, early sixth round type guy. Yeah. He's someone that he's still going to put up those counting stats. Like you said, that I would be fine taking him in a standard league. If you're in something more advanced, like, 
uh, we have a, a deeper league with with categories and whatnot. I don't like him there because it's going to count against more of the things like average and OBP and some of that stuff that I wouldn't really take him. But in a standard league, he's going to do enough with a lot of the different categories that, yeah, I would be comfortable taking him uh, next year around what you kind of said. Nick Castellanos was a guy that I think we were both kind of fading, leaving Cincinnati. Um, he did still go to a pretty good hitters ballpark in Philadelphia, and he had a really bad first half. He has actually been picking it up a little bit. Here in the second half, um, in the second half of the season, he has a 297 average, 325 OBP, 448 slug, which is good for 773 OPS. So it's still not like great. If you drafted him in the top, you know, 60, you probably still don't feel great about that. But it's been a lot better than the first half. Where would you take Nick Castellanos in 2023? Nick Castellanos might be one of the most frustrating players to manage in fantasy baseball he is on the other half of 30 so that's something to keep in mind that he's getting older he's in a ballpark though where the ball flies and you know he's been in a lineup where bryce harper hasn't been in it for the majority of the year so you wonder what impact that has uh, maybe having a full season of harper there um driving in more runs seeing better pitches uh, that's just something that kind of comes to mind initially the one thing that's a little concerning to me about castellanos is he's just not slugging in a ballpark where you should be slugging. Like I know he went from probably the second friendliest ballpark to hit in, but he's also still in a top 10 ballpark to hit in. So there's no excuses there. He was able to produce in Chicago with the Cubs. He was able to do that. Obviously when he went to Cincinnati, there's something I'm concerned about. And the average, I think will actually still be there. He'll be roughly around a 280 hitter in my opinion, but I don't know if the power it's something I'm buying anymore about him. And I could be totally wrong because I've been, I've had such a hard time trying to break down exactly what Castellanos' value is. He also could be a doubles machine, you know, in his finest hours. So if you're in a doubles league, he probably offers you more value than a standard five by five league. Right. Um, I, I, I would want the opportunity to draft him that I just think there's so many more players out there that I trust more than him right now that I don't think I would pick Castellanos until maybe like pick 100, right? Like, I think that's kind of where I'm leaning is he's a borderline top 100 guy in a keeper league. I'm probably selling him because I don't see him really having much more future value in the slugging category and uh, OPS particularly. I just, I'm not out on him. I'm just not really in on him, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm kind of out on it, to be completely honest. I don't really see the value there at all. Again, unless like he's just going to drop to pick 200 to me or something weird like that. Like, sure, I'll, I'll take a, a shot at that. But like, I I just can't invest into it. I don't think it's going to be like an overwhelmingly better season. I, I think this just might kind of be who he is the rest of his career. Uh, Cattell Marte had kind of a, a down start after kind of a down last year. And then he, he picked it up and he got hot for a while looking great, and now he's cold again. What would you do with Cattell Marte? Man, he's so frustrating. He, he's kind of in that same book for me as Castellanos. The only difference is Marte, you know, is not going to slug, and he's really, really slug, uh, struggling right there. You know, he's kind of crazy, Derek. He's in the 96th percentile for max exit velocity, which is just something I did not know. He, he's a bigger guy. He's like six foot one. He weighs 210 pounds. He's still 28 years old. I mean, he's not an old guy, but – um, there's something that's rough about him for me. And I think it's that he's getting on that older side and the inconsistency for me is really hard to, to kind of follow through with. He's going to have some weeks that he just is really tearing it up. And if you're in a head to head fantasy league, he's your nightmare because 
one week he's going to go off the next he's going to just completely destroy your average and he's not going to help your slugging on base percentage he's kind of somebody i just don't even think i'm buying to be honest with you second base is a relatively weak position but i just you know the team around him is getting better right the team around him is getting a lot better and you just have to wonder if he has a rough year man i mean there are guys that they're willing to call up and does Marte even find a way? I know he's fresh off a new deal, but I don't know. His future's just weirdly uncertain for me to the point where I don't really want to buy it. I'm kind of the same way. I, I don't know. There's just something kind of off about um, whatever's going on there. And it's kind of weird because he he's just like alternated seasons with good slugging percentage or whatnot. Um, but like for Yahoo, they released their 2023 rankings. He's 120th. Ah. I guess at that point, like I am kind of buying it. Like I'd, I'd pick him at it. Like I'm looking at Javier Baez, 124th. Like I, oh, I'd I'm take not him touching him. You know I'm I mean? not even touching him. Yeah, exactly, him. exactly. Yeah. So at that price, I'm cool with it. But to bounce back to like be what he is, or, or what he was pre-drafted, or what he was in like you know the past couple of seasons, not quite there. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, a guy you love. I'll just say I'm in on him pretty quickly because I just I don't know. I love the power. I, I think he's had to deal with injuries this year. Yep, I'm right there with you too. I don't think we even have to spend too much time on this guy. He he's got such elite power and speed capabilities, and yeah, the injuries have been rough. Uh, he's on a team that's kind of difficult to dissect as far as the starting opportunity. What's that going to look like moving forward? But I think he's carved out enough of, a, of an opportunity to where next year they're going to give him a chance. And if he falters, then yeah, maybe they'll turn a different direction. But it's not like Dylan Carlson's doing anything great either, you know. So uh, trading Harrison Bader kind of opened up a spot for him there too. Juan Yepes has not been healthy. I, I just, I think the opportunity will be there. I'm in on him. If I see Tyler O'Neill available at the same time as Cattell Marte or Nick Castellanos, I honestly think I'm taking Tyler O'Neill. I agree with that. Um, okay. This is the last one we got here. Wander Franco, who's been taken as like a top 40 guy, 2023 Yankees on Yahoo, have him at number 37. That's interesting. If it was a one-year league, I would go Francisco Lindor over him, who's ranked two spots below. But obviously, in a keeper league, he still has a, a ton, a ton of value. You know, top-tier guy there. But this year has been kind of disappointing. 260, 308, 396 slug. The ISO is down. He hasn't really shown any power so far this season. What would you do with Wander Franco? So I'm in the boat where if I'm in a you know year redraft league, I'm not touching him for the simple reason that I'm going to let somebody else enjoy the breakout whenever that is. But he's only 21 years old. You know, that breakout could happen in three years and he's still in his prime, right? I just don't know if the power is necessarily there. And I do want to remind people this. Yoan Moncada was on such a similar track projections wise. People talked about him the same way. It's weird how similar actually they projected. And, and obviously, Moncada's hit tool, not quite the same as Franco. Like Moncada had more power, but you just have to keep in mind that hype is a big deal. Um, and the Rays concern me a little bit sometimes with managing their players. The injury is scary to me. Like the fact that he can't seem to stay healthy this year, that's never a good sign. I'm going to probably wait him out. I, I you know, people are going to overdraft him. If, if he's at pick 50, then maybe I'd take a shot, but. I just think that there's better, safer picks, and I'm not really going for the high ceiling for him. Yeah, I'd be cool with him around like pick 60 or something. Yeah, and same. I agree with you. I think the breakout is going to come, but I'll let somebody else, like you said, pay the price of that, at least this year. Like one thing that's interesting to me, though, Vladimir Guerrero, you look at his first two years 
when he was age 20 and 21. He played 183 games over those two years. He hit 24 home runs. He hit around like mid 260s. So he wasn't the Vladimir Guerrero. And then all of a sudden it just popped and he hit 48 home runs. I think not to that level. Like I think Wander in a prime year is, is closer to maybe 25 home runs, something like that, but with high average. I think that's just going to, it's going to randomly pop. So maybe it is next year, but like you said, I don't want to overpay on the price there. I'd rather take a guy like Francisco Lindor for at least one year leagues. Okay, let's get to our shotgun six pack real quick before we wrap it up. True or false, Max Scherzer going on the IL could actually be a good thing because it'll mean he'll be more rested for the postseason. False, it's bad for my fantasy team. No, no, it's <laughs> it, it's a it sucks for me, but uh, it's it's good. But I think for the Mets, they give him some time to work it out. The Dodgers last year really overused him towards the end, and he had the dead arm. So I'm going to say it's true. I, I think that give him the rest now. You know, Scherzer is going to go out there and ball when he gets the chance. As long as this is a small thing, yeah, it's true. Uh, will the Yankees be caught for the AL East? The Tempe Rays have moved to within uh, four and a half games, and they have a three-game set this weekend. False. I have a hard time still seeing the Yankees blow this thing apart. And the Rays not having Shane McClanahan, RIP, like we, you know, I think that's a key that really kills. Uh, the Rays need every asset they can have to really take down the Yankees. I know they haven't been playing well, but – the Yankees still like there's something there that I I just I have a hard time seeing them blow this. Uh, it would be really funny to watch the Orioles come on some rampage and somehow dethrone the Yankees. That would be really cool. But I'm gonna say yeah, false. that would. I'll say false as well. Uh, who wins the AL Central? I know Cleveland's up front. I'm gonna say Cleveland. Um, the Twins have been playing better baseball of late. I still don't know if I trust the pitching enough, and I trust the pitching for the Guardians a lot more. I'll stick with Cleveland. Who wins the NL East? Oh, this one's the top one, man. Uh, I'm going to say the Atlanta Braves. Uh, they made such a crazy surge back. Their offense is better than the Mets. I think their pitching depth is better than the Mets. The bullpen, you can make an argument either way, really, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to go with the Braves. They, they've, they've been on too good of a tear, and the Mets have kind of shown a little bit of a, a, a chink in the armor. So I, I'm going to say the Braves. I'll say the Braves, but then the Mets go further in the playoffs because of the uh, top of the rotation. Braves have a good – I don't know. I guess Braves have a really good top of the rotation too. So, I don't know. We'll see what's here. Pretty brutal either way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the most exciting player on the Orioles from a fantasy perspective in 2022, the rest of the season, is who? And then in 2023 is who? Yeah, this is a tough one. So, I'm going to say for 2022 purposes, how about Anthony Santander? This kid has mm. been really a, a solid piece in the middle of the lineup – um, consistently hitting bombs out of the ballpark. He's going to give you RBIs. I think for the rest of the year, he's probably the most reliable piece. As for 2023, I'll probably go with Gunnar Henderson. I, I think they appeal of just the, the high potential there. I mean, Adley Rutschman, man, has a yeah. real chance uh, either way. I think Santander is going to give you power. So if you're in like the standard five by five, I'm going him. But Rutschman from an average standpoint, I mean, he could be your answer every year for the next, like, 15 years. He's He's got, like, Joe Maurer status for me. So I'm going to say Santander just from the power standpoint for this year, but it's Gunner for me uh, or Adley next year. I'm going Adley both years. I avoid a catcher. I, I like it. He's been so good this year. So already. good. So good. All right, uh, last one. Who has the worst injury luck? Byron Buxton, Luis Robert. Jazz Chisholm, Anthony Rizzo, or Chris Bryant? God, they all have terrible injuries, man. It's so bad. I, You know what? I'm going to just play a little biased role. Luis Robert, as a fantasy owner, has just driven me absolutely insane lately. He's had a wrist issue to the point where he swung a bat with one hand for an entire at-bat. They yanked him, and then he goes back. He had, like, lightheadedness. 
Then he gets hit on the same hand he's had wrist issues with. It's like, how does this dude just keep getting hurt in different ways? Like, he's so young, and he can't stay on the field for more than a day. It is mind-numbing. Um, so most recency bias, I'm going to go Luis Robert. I'll go Byron Buxton. Always injured, Always injured. He's made of glass. He, <laughs> yes. He's Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. That's Booze and Baseball. See you next time.